Hello everyone, it is now 5pm on this Wednesday evening in Kingston and you're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM, www.cfrc.ca. Welcome to this week's segment of Today in YGK with me, your host, Alexandra Fernandez. Today in YGK brings you need-to-know news about what's going on right here in our beautiful city of Kingston. From current news, special segments, and interviews with some amazing guests, I'm sure you'll find something of interest that gets you to tune in. If you have any news to share with me, please contact me via email, which is news at cfrc.ca. So without further ado, let's get right into it. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi there, you're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM. Alexandra here, and I hope that you're having a lovely Wednesday so far. I can't believe it is already mid-July today. I feel like the summer has just flown by, which is surprising considering we're living through a global pandemic, and you would think being indoors mostly would make it go slower. I'm also still completely not used to saying that we're living through a pandemic. It's still so surreal to me, but yet here we are um, going, dealing with it day by day. Um, So yes, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. So this is your weekly Alex reminder to keep yourself, your family and friends, and even strangers safe, sanitize, wash your hands as often as possible, wear your mask, and don't forget to social distance. Kingston has surpassed 100 cases to a total of 105 now since March. Only five of them are currently active, so that's really great news. In fact, a lot of regions in Ontario, including Kingston, are entering stage three of the Ontario reopening plan this Friday, which means indoor dining and gyms will be opening in as they are included in that list. Gathering limits will be increased to 50 people when indoors and 100 people when outdoors. Individuals meeting with people outside of their quarantine circle are still required to physically distance and they cannot exceed a group of 10. Um, Things like art galleries, zoos, museums, movie theaters, performing arts centers will slowly be able to reopen again as long as public health health guidelines are followed and are in place. Um, So yeah, as things open up in two days, just be careful, be safe, and protect yourself and others um, as we enter the last phase of the reopening plan for the province. Moving on, other things going on right here in Kingston, specifically with Queen's University, which is basically going to be the whole concept of today's show is a social media initiative started by a student in the commerce program. An Instagram page called at stolen by Smith has emerged, which was incredibly insightful to read. Students as well as alumni can share their experiences of systemic violence that has happened by, in, and at, and with the Smith School of Business. The Instagram account holds the Smith School of Business administration accountable for their lack of action for those in the QT BIPOC community. Today on Air With Me, I have Kelly Whaling Zoe, a Queen's University commerce student who is the voice behind the Instagram account Stolen by Smith, which was launched on July 3rd, which is not even two weeks ago. It has since gained over 10,000 followers, has over 200 posts detailing experiences of racism, sexism, homophobia, as well as sexual assault in the commerce program posted by current students as well as alumni. Um, so Kelly, welcome to CFRC 101.9 FM. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. 
Um, so can you just introduce yourself for us and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're sort of up to right now? Yeah, so um, my name is Kelly. My pronouns are she, her. I'm heading into my fourth year at Queen's Commerce. Um, and this summer, I'm working with Queen's University in the art science faculty. Um, like a lot of other students, I had initial plans for other internships lined up, but due to COVID, they've been canceled. So I'm here for the entire summer living here um, because my parents live in the States. And right now, border crossing is a dangerous thing. <laughs> awesome. Um, so like I said, you're the one who started the Instagram account that goes by the name of Stolen by Smith, where people who are part of the queer, trans, um, black, indigenous, and people of color community can submit their experiences of systemic violence, racism, sexism, homophobia. What inspired you to start this account and why now? Yeah, of course. So, um, again, all of the work I do, the activism I work I do is informed by Black and Indigenous activists. So in this specific case, um, my activism work is inspired by Black student leaders across America, especially thinking of Instagram accounts, Black at Harvard Law, um, Black at Cornell, and also the Instagram movement, Black in the Ivory, sorry, the Twitter movement, Black in the Ivory. Um, so what these Black student leaders have done is detail experiences of racism um, at their schools. And I thought this would be specifically applicable to the Smith School of Business um, in Queens because of how the administration has historically failed to respond to the call of actions, call to action of a lot of students. So these are students who came in the seven years Laurie Garnier, the executive director, has been here um, to talk about racism, to talk about sexism, homophobia, the power discrepancy um, and how white supremacy insulates all of these issues, especially one I didn't really um, pay attention to, but now I'm hyper aware of, is this problem of sexual violence in the Smith School of Business and how I think a lot of the power discrepancies in the way clubs are organized insulates that. Um, there's a culture of, I think, silence historically to talk about these mm -hmm. issues. Um, I'm specifically thinking of an incident in my second year, so that's a year, two years ago now, um, where a, a commerce student came out with an article in the Queen's Journal talking about issues of racism, and the response was very poor. There was a lot of critique with the way he chose to deliver the, the, deliver the um, issues he's brought up in commerce with very little insight or reflection onto the extremely valid issues he brought up. So I made this account as a space for the congregation of QT BIPOC voices, um, students with disabilities, and also students who have experienced sexual violence to be able to anonymously speak about these issues because of how much um, the commerce pressures students into a, a, just an environment of silence um, and, and just like smaller conversations about this, but never addressing it on a systemic level. Through creating the Instagram, my ultimate goal was to finally show this, the Smith administration that change needs to happen and mm -hmm. it needed to happen like five years ago, 10 years ago, um, and to hold them accountable really for the lack of action that's ever been taken. Yeah, which is... Amazing and something we need to see more of and not even just in the commerce department itself, but in every department, like the fact that there are so many, I think that's what blows my mind about it all is that there's so many of these stories. I mean, you've not even had this Instagram account for like, like it's been exactly 10 days, I'm pretty sure. And there's over 200 and I'm assuming your inbox is full of many more. There's so many more. Yeah. Um, I think like the issue of racism, issues of like sexual violence, of discrimination at Queen's University is exceptionally prevalent. And the university itself insulates in a lot of ways. Um, and the speakers they choose to have to come to school, in the ways they take the labor of QT BIPOC for granted, 
Um, I know like engineering has one now too. There's been students who are reaching out to me thinking they want to start one for art sci. Mm-hmm. And I think it just speaks to the greater volumes of how the school has historically failed to listen to its QT BIPOC students and how it continues, and I say this with quotations, um, diversifying their student population about actually taking steps to ensure that these students are safe in these spaces. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, like I was saying, it's so many posts and that's just within one faculty like I can't even imagine and commerce is pretty small I mean what is the usual size of a graduating class um so it's not just commerce it's Miss school of business and there's also submissions from like people in the masters of international business okay. program um the graduate diploma uh, graduate diploma of accounting there's submissions from like all of these masters programs okay. um I couldn't tell you the exact size of the Smith School of Business, but I can tell you there are about 300 to 400 submissions that I haven't been processed through, and they're increasing every single day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty insane. Um, what sort of goes through your mind when you're reading all these different submissions and you just see how many stories have gone untold that reveal the reality of what it is like to be a QT BIPOC person studying in the Smith School of Business? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think because of my positionality and how positionality and how um, my that affects my perception. Um, I'm a queer woman of color. Um, I'm also disabled, um, and as a Southeast Asian, I relate to a lot of the microaggressions that we don't talk about. So I see that a lot of students, and especially throughout this process, have been unlearning what they've just been expected to normalize. So I think microaggressions are small, and because they're generally not too harmful, and they're just more frustrating than actually damaging, um, they get brushed under the rug again and again by these students, and we just learn, oh, like, experiencing um, microaggressions are just a part of, like, normal experience at Smith School of Business. And having a platform where the congregation of voices can come together and say, we've all experienced this thing, points to a culture that's present at Smith School of Business that isn't an individualized experience. It's something that's shared by so many people, and I think that points to a greater problem with how the dominant culture of um, what's generically the cis white um, population of like people from upper income families have influenced the way QT BIPOC expect, uh, are expected to internalize um, issues of racism, issues of uh, discrimination in these academic settings. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, and only if you feel comfortable, and please tell me if you don't, would you mind speaking to some of your own experiences that you have dealt with during your years studying in the commerce program here at Queen's? Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't mind talking about it. I'm pretty public about my experiences. Um, I think it gives the validity and safety to other people who want to come forward. Um, in my first year at the Smith School of Business, um, like many other people of color, I had a friend group that was predominantly white. Actually, mm-hmm. my friend group was completely white with my, uh, with the exception of me. It was also pretty male dominated, and I'm pretty sure that they were all from either middle income to upper upper middle income families. Okay. Um, I'm a two time immigrant, and while I live comfortably, I wouldn't say that my family is wealthy by any chance. Um, and I pay for my own tuition as much as I can. I live as a residence um, don, so that I have no living or food experiences, so I work like multiple jobs throughout the year. And in my first year, I faced a lot of experiences of racism. Um, I know specifically within my friend group, they always asked me to explain the difference between Singapore and China. And they were always saying like, Singapore is part of China. No, like what's the difference? You're just Chinese. I don't know why you feel a need to differentiate between Singaporean Chinese and just Chinese. Like they would always reduce aspects of my identity to one thing. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I was also when I first came out as bisexual. Um, I identify as pan now. But at that time, I remember there were a lot of jokes. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of the women around me, the white women around me were saying things like, oh, um, I don't feel comfortable changing around you like just because you're uh, bisexual. And I remember thinking like my 
sexual orientation doesn't mean that I am a sexual predator and it doesn't mean that I want to predate on your like you changing in front of me and for you to equate that for me is really damaging Mm -hmm. um I was also really fetishized a lot in this not necessarily in this miss school of business but overall as a woman of like a Chinese woman um and also being bisexual there was a lot of like fetishization of both my sexual orientation also my gen- um like just the idea of like the orientalist ideals of a chinese woman yeah. was something i experienced a lot i also think about how as like a disabled student there's a lot of times where i physically can't leave my room to go to classes and the smith school of business has again and again just put barriers up for me to uh, access education so I, I remember at one point i was asking can there be some online uh, commerce courses or can you have voice recordings of courses so that i can study on my own at home even when i can't make it to class and they were like unfortunately we just don't have the resources for that um so it kind of feels like a slap in, in the face uh, mm-hmm. that now with covid they apparently had the resources to move all <laughs> classes online yeah but i couldn't even get like a voice recording of a course for me to review on my own time yeah, that's pretty crazy to think about that. Um, yeah, and my next question for you is, how do you feel about the fact that there are some incoming students who have submitted um, stuff to Stolen by Smith who are now second-guessing or are hesitant about their decision to accept Smith's School of Business as their home for the next four years? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, as like a person of color myself, I want to ensure that everyone who is entering into the school, especially as QT BIPOC, is prioritizing their safety. Um, QT BIPOC shouldn't be... I hear like a lot of people saying like, oh, you should come to the school because if you come to the school, you'll be changing the culture. But it's not our job as QT BIPOC to be leading that change. Um, we shouldn't have to go to trauma. We should be able to engage in ways of like self-protection as much as we need in order to ensure that we have a good educational experience. It's not up to us to change the culture of the school. And unfortunately, even though that is what it is now and that's the labor that I'm engaging in now, it shouldn't be up to students who are marginalized to take on the labor of changing the school for other marginalized students to come into. The Smith admin should be, frankly, responsible for creating a safe um, learning experience for all students. Um, Instead of having students of color like myself, um, like Black and Indigenous students, be entering um, spaces where they are frequently tokenized, made uncomfortable, where, um, like, classrooms are not a safe setting for them. I'm specifically thinking of classes where anti-Indigenous content is constantly being taught, uh, where, like, land rights are up for debate all the time. Mm -hmm. Um... I think of how classes are, like ethics classes, discuss, uh, give, give way for really problematic discussions that aren't shut down by professors. And I, I just think it's, I, I want to make sure that everyone who is coming to this space, especially incoming students to, who are uh, marginalized, are prioritizing their safety. It's not our, it's not my space, it's not anyone else's space to judge how they prioritize their safety. Um, and I want to make sure that I can do as much as I can to make a safety for them. But if you choose not to come here, ultimately, like, I will respect that because again, safety comes first, their mm-hmm. wellness comes first, and if they aren't, they feel like they aren't able to guarantee that in this kind of setting, then they should do what they can to take care of themselves. For sure. That's a very, very well-worded answer. Thank you for that. Um, and like we've talked about, you've already surpassed 10,000 followers on Instagram with this account in a very short amount of time. Um, and it's really amazing to see a lot of students coming together and sharing these experiences and having these conversations. And I mean, I was reading articles about this Instagram page and I saw that news outlets as big as Global News, CTV and Vice, like even picked this up. And I was just wondering, like, did you ever expect it to get the amount of traction that it has and is still clearly developing? 
Um, frankly, no. I I think my my expectations when I made it was that maybe it would get two hundred fifty followers. It would get. I just wanted administration attention and a public platform for accountability. Mm-hmm. I never thought it would come to ten thousand followers. I never thought it would come to me getting interviewed um, by news outlets. Um, and I think like the fact that it has such a big following is an indicator of how institutions, academic institutions, especially business schools with such high tuition rates. Um, are clearly just insulation of like white supremacy at these you know like systems of white supremacy at this university um yeah i i was not like um uh, i thought i never thought i would surpass surpass the work done by like at black of harvard law i'm not saying that like this work is any more significant because of the follower account that we have but i think it just points to the culture of toxicity toxicity that is like clearly present mm-hmm. when even alumni from i can think like as far as 2005 are coming forward with stories saying wow. like back then i experienced this too i can't believe it's still happening yeah 15 years later yeah it's frankly like pretty terrible that students are still going through the same thing and if anything it seems like the culture here now is worse um because students have been taught to internalize and normalize microaggressions and discrimination mm-hmm. and it's clear too and i've read some of i was like reading a bunch of these submissions too it's like even people who are people of color mm-hmm. and black and indigenous and they even like don't pick up on microaggressions as well because it's just so like ingrained in our brains because it's just kind of how we've grown up with mm-hmm. um, or how we've grown up rather. So, yeah. I think one thing that's been really rewarding for me that I didn't expect um, from this project was having people of color, especially Asians, um, talk to me about how they're slowly unlearning the things that they have normalized um, and they're slowly learning how their success has been based on, has been dependent on their ability to conform to social norms and commerce. Um, and it's been greatly rewarding to see how people are slowly stepping away from the model minority myth um, and how we're, we're expected to propagate that, how people of color are expected to work harder and it's normalized that they should work harder for positions of um, that white students are e- able to easily access. And it's been just really great to see, I guess, normalization of a new culture, President Nat Smith, where microaggressions aren't the accepted norm. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, in terms of like also keeping up with your account, I see that you have um, been posting updates. And like you said, you met with Lord. You have already met with Laurie Garnier? So I haven't met with Laurie Garnier yet. I met with her on another capacity in my position as the Commerce Society's Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Officer to bring up another equity initiative that I wanted to start a while ago. Yeah, um, it was um, it was about Indigenous resurgence and decolonization, right? Yeah. Um, I know it is a little bit not, <laughs> I guess, on topic about Stolen by Smith, but I still would like to talk to you about it because I know... Um, here I have like your list of initiatives um, that you set out for this meeting, which included um, for any listeners um, who are curious, it's Indigenous cultural sensitivity training for all teaching staff and admin, non-merit-based scholarships for Indigenous students, increased hiring of Indigenous admin, teaching staff, counselors, mandatory land acknowledgement at all commerce events, hiring and properly compensating Indigenous artists to display celebrations of Indigenous traditions and activities, and incorporating Indigenous teachings into the academic curriculum. So I just wanted to know, like, if you can update people with how that meeting went, and um, those who that 
those who you met with, how did they sort of respond to this initiative of yours? Yeah, um, for sure. So I want to preface first by saying that all of the work that I'm doing is done by Indigenous scholars and activists before me. I'm specifically referencing the Extending um, the Rafters um, document that was written a few years ago. And that's where I've gotten all of the work that I want to do. And that's where I'm sourcing it from. So the meeting I had was with uh, Laurie Garnier, Amanda Cassick. So Laurie is the um, executive director of Commerce. Um, Amanda uh, Mofi Badmos, who is the only paid inclusivity and um, diversity coordinator in commerce, and Anne Deer, who is the Indigenous student recruitment officer of both the law school and the uh, Smith School of Business. As with all meetings of admin, um, I think any many, many people who've met with Lori Garney can speak to this. She will listen to you on the spot, be very empathetic, be very willing to help you make change. But hearing from her to follow up with these initiatives have always been tough. I think this will be different because right now I have the spotlight of Sloan by Smith that can mm-hmm. allow me to hold her accountable for everything that I've experienced. But I'm like, I just had a call last night with um, like a black student in commerce who had approached Lori Garnier about issues with um, racism, like specific instances of racism with student leaders in commerce. Mm-hmm. And Lori Garnier had initially um, like said, yeah, of course, I'll follow up with these. I'll talk to these students individually. But then in a few days later, um, backed out basically and said, I'm not comfortable involving myself in the politics of this program. But you are paid to ensure the wellness yeah. <laughs> of the, you're paid like a hundred and fifty thousand dollars like six figures to ensure the wellness of black indigenous students and if you can't involve yourself with the social politics of people who are actively racist in your program and these racists are allowed to who are these people who are exhibiting racist behavior are in positions of student leadership um how are you supposed to manage the systemic issues present at like smith school of business if you can't even talk to one student about how their behavior is misaligned with the principles apparently you have at Smith School of Business, how are you supposed to enact change across the rest of the school? And I think that even though she promised me that all of this is happening and that there's an EDII task force, um, EDII stands for Equity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Indigeneity um, task force being moved forward, there's been so many task force um, and so many reports done in the time I've been here. Mm-hmm. I, I am optimistic because I have a social pressure that I've never had before because it's owned by Smith. But realistically, like, I expect, I expect very little. I hope more will be done. But the only thing that they've committed to for sure is the most performative actions of reconciliation, which would be um, getting forward the indigenous art and commerce um, in, in the school of business and also um, prioritizing land acknowledgements, like mandatory land acknowledgements in every event. Like, these, these are such performative acts and the ultimate step to decolonization and indigenous resurgence in this program that I'm frankly, if those are the only things that happen, I'll be disappointed, but it's what I expect. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that that's all that you can't expect just based on like previous experiences with these people. Not even my previous experiences, like one big thing that I didn't realize after starting this account is that so many people have reached out to Lori Garney. Really? Yeah, I'll call her out for this specifically. So many students have reached out to her, had a lovely one-on-one meeting with her, talked about how we need to see things change, brought forward actionable resources, brought forward actionable initiatives. And then when they attempted to reach out, and she promises, like, oh, we'll connect to you resources. This will be moving forward for sure. But when we follow up and we ask for a second meeting, we're ignored and we're not listened to again. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's, like, I thought it was just my experience, but this is an experience that alumni have told me, and this is an experience that current students have echoed to me as well. Wow. So I think it's like, you're pay- like again, 
money is just one thing but like out of the wellness of your heart how can you sit here in so many meetings over the seven years you've worked and hear the same issues again and again and not address them and of course i don't think this is just a thing specifically like limited to Lori alone i think this is um, a representation of how smith administration is failing to pay attention to what the students are asking for and i don't know where the bottleneck exists but i think there needs to be serious thought in considering why this bottleneck exists and why these issues have taken seven years to resolve at all Wow. Yeah, those <laughs> I'm almost speechless out here. Wow. Yeah, that was um that was a great, great answer. Um so do you have that follow or have you contacted Lori Garnier for that follow up meeting? So I have several meetings in process where I will be following them up at the meeting, but they're not like in solely for this purpose. Mm-hmm. We have a meeting in August that's been um planned and like set in stone that we'll be bringing forward like follow-ups of all of these with all of these um initiatives i proposed and i want to see happen but again like I, a month is frustrating currently up up to after the meeting i've never heard from anyone about any of these initiatives only the ones that i have a role in pushing forward everything goes through this edii task force that exists and apparently work is being done but there's such a problem with transparency in the school of business i i for one like have difficulty just knowing what's going on even even though i'm directly involved in initiatives i'm on the commerce society for a reason like i never got involved in commerce up till this year for my own wellness Mm -hmm. until i was like okay i only have one year left i want to make change and historically in commerce program i haven't been able to make change because i have a lack of a position and i have a lack of access to resources but even on a commerce society there's still a lack of transparency in a way that the smith school of business administration operates and i still have a barrier to knowing what's actually going on behind the scenes um even though i'm in a position that should be directly very closely interrelated to the operations of the smith school of business right um i also saw on your instagram story for stolen by smith that you were to meet with brenda who is the interim dean of the commerce department and i was just hoping what you were a com- what you <laughs> I was wondering what you are hoping to accomplish at that meeting. Um, so the meeting for Friday is one just to me and Mina. Mina Wasim is the um, co-EDIO for the Commerce Society. Lovely person. Awesome activist. Love working with her. <laughs> I love women of color in positions of power. Um, <laughs> so we're meeting with Brenda Brower on um, some time, hopefully later this week, to discuss the uh, eight principles that we're pushing forward. Um to get an idea of what's feasible, um, even if they're not feasible, to get a reflection from admin of what they think about it, um, and be able to take that information back and just internalize it into our operating procedures. If she says, oh, I think that there's potential concerns with this aspect of it, we're going to provide data that says there shouldn't be questions about this. Um, this is how we're going to proceed forwards with this, and this is why it's an absolute necessity. Um, I hope the meeting with Brenda will prove to be more receptive and more beneficial than my historical like than historically how meetings of Lori Garney has gone um Brenda I think is relatively new to this position she's interim dean um and I've heard she's open to change I hope she has more power to make change right now than Lori Garnier has because apparently bottleneck exists I don't know what it is but because of that bottleneck we haven't seen change so I think like the the biggest thing I want to hear out of this meeting is that I have actionable things that I can move forwards with mm-hmm. and that she will commit to them like, yeah. we, we look at things that the school has done, like extending the rafters, the picketing reports. Those are giant reports that take so much time, so much manpower, um, and so much investment in terms of, like, I'm sure, money, too. But 
how much of the follow-up is actually being implemented? How frequently do we see that follow-up? And why don't we see it as a priority at the school? Like, I, I still see that student leaders, especially Black student leaders and Indigenous student leaders on this campus, are taking on the brunt of this labor, and they're unpaid for it, which I think is absolutely ridiculous. Like, why are students expected to do the jobs that Smith and, like the school's administration should be doing mm-hmm. and not be compensated in any ways for a prettier resume? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Um... Well, and you said that meeting is on Friday, right? Hopefully. I think she said she'll get back to us by a specific date, but um, we asked for later in the week, so we're thinking Friday, but we're unsure as to when. Well, hopefully it all goes well, and <laughs> best of luck to that. <laughs> Thank see. you. Yeah. Um, and I also saw there's just so many... Um, so much stuff is happening. So much stuff is happening in such a short amount of time. I can't imagine how overwhelming in both good and bad bad ways it could be but um I also saw that um you promoted a mentorship um a mentorship program um started by Omar Babula yeah so Omar has been fantastic with it um so when we were starting this when I started this account there was just an overwhelming support from alumni and current students who are in like upper years who wanted to support incoming students in first years as they transition to this school mm-hmm. and Omar has been fantastic in taking the lead on that and helping organize an alumni, uh, not not alumni, but like up year and um, incoming students a mentorship program. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm so grateful for all the labor that is being done by all the <laughs> students right now. Omar, I think himself, is only a second year uh, going oh, wow. to third. Yeah, he's he's uh, the previous Cody, uh, the EDIO the year before me. So he's been working at Cody Work in uh, the Commerce Sphere for a while now. And his enthusiasm has been just astounding. Like, I see the work that he's doing with the amount of students who are reaching out to him and how quickly and willing he is able to do this work while working a full-time job on top of that. Um, and I, I really just hope that, like, I have full faith in his ability to make the mentorship program something that's absolutely going to blossom and provide uh, resources and support for students who are in, like, first year coming into school business and also in second year. Um, and I hope that like, what I'm seeing happen right now is that QT BIPOC are taking care of their own community. Grassroots mobilizing is happening, um, and grassroots mobilizing is clearly what's most effective right now when we take action into our own hands. Like, again, these are folks doing unpaid labor because the Smith School business is failing to do their job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be very frank, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but that's a really, really great um, thing that, like, Queen's Commerce students are doing, just mm-hmm. taking that initiative, going that step, um, going above and beyond when no one's even asking of them to do this. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that it's unfortunate that Smith can't even do that, but, you know, and another <laughs> student has to start it. And I know it's not affiliated w- directly with the um, with the Smith School of Business, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like an independent just... Yeah, it's completely independent project that Omar's taken on his own time and space. Wow. Um, and I'm just like... The QT BIPOC community in Cisco Business who are willing to mobilize and willing to make change are amazing. You can you can see how much change they want to see happen because of their own poor experiences. And I think that itself is both extremely inspiring, but also just such a sad reflection of what how does Smith School of Business has failed its students yet again, that we're so desperate to see change, even if it means sacrificing our own time, even if it means sacrificing our job prospects. Like I think of the Commerce, uh, Commerce Society president, um, Sebi, He's taken a week off of work last week, his full-time job. I took a week off of work last week, too. And we're sacrificing our own career advancement for the sake of improving the wellness and the equity work that's being done in the Smith School of Business. Wow. And it's, not, it's unpaid. Again, like, I'm just frustrated because we have... 
all these cutie BIPOC doing labor that the school should frankly be doing and we're unpaid for it. We're not getting recognition in the ways that we deserve. And doing this labor is exhausting in every mean like every meaning of the word exhausting, it's there. Yeah, I bet. Like not even just physically, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but thank you from like one student to another student. Like thank you for starting such an amazing initiative in which the reality of so many people's Queen's University experiences and probably at other schools too. Like, um, thanks for just highlighting that and bringing those stories to life. Thank you for giving me a platform to talk about it. Yeah, um, of course, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm really great that we're having this amazing conversation. <laughs> With everything going on, it has been less than two weeks. However, um, Queen's leaders, such as those at the AMS, the Queen's rector, the principal, Um, and even some other people in power here at the university, they were criticized by QCRED, which is the Queen's Coalition Against Racial and Ethnic Discrimination, for their silence on this matter and this Instagram page that you have started. Um, However, on July 11th, um, the AMS and the Queen's Rector put out a statement, um, and the AMS even revealed that they intend on releasing an releasing an action plan by July 24th to determine internal and external change. And I was just wondering, what was your initial reaction to this? And do you think that if QCRED did not hold these Queen's leaders accountable, that they would have even spoken up in the first place? Honestly, it's hard to say. Like, I, I think so much labor, again, has to be credited to the equity organizations at this, like, at this university for holding student leaders accountable for the action they need to do. Um... I wish I could say I want they would have made announcements about it, but frankly, I don't see that happening. I think it's disappointing to know that the people who are normally in these positions are students who have been set up, who have had privilege to enter into these positions, who want to be in these positions. And usually those folks aren't QT BIPOC students. I'm glad a lot more people of people of color, a lot of um, queer trans like communities are able to enter these spaces now because those voices need to be heard. But again, like, I think beyond like equity isn't something that's integrated into the the operations of Queen's University. Equity is something that is sidelined and it operates on its own. Whereas whereas the ideal situation would be equity is integrated into every single club on campus. Like I I think QCred is doing an amazing job at calling people into what work needs to be done and calling into how much labor is actually being requested of students again and again to improve the school and how frankly that labor shouldn't be on us. Mm -hmm. For sure. Close to ending off, what do you hope comes out of this account as you continue to post more stories shared by your fellow peers and alumni and incoming people as well? So the most, I guess, obvious answer would be I want to see change and I want to see change happen as urgently and as rapidly as possible. Um, That being said, like still well thought out change, change is sustainable, but change needs to happen. I want to see the Smith School of Business. I'm going to continue using a platform to hold the Smith School of Business accountable and to share with everyone who's following what steps are being taken to actually address the issues at Smith School of Business. And I'm really happy there are some younger students on the team, like, for example, Omar, for example, Nina, who are graduating in year 2024, who will be following through with these initiatives after I leave this year. I want to see that equity work is prioritized, and I want to see that equity leaders are able to have the space to make the change that they need to change. Um, I really hope that administration is receptive to these changes because these are long due, um, and I hope that, like, at the end of the day, my only goal is for the Smith School of Business to be a safe um, and joyful learning space 
for QT BIPOC students, for all students overall, but because historically QT BIPOC students have worse experiences, I wanted them to be prioritized. But I think there's so, need, so much needs to be done to ensure that the, like, um, the power discrepancies are addressed so sexual violence isn't as prevalent. There's so much needs to be done to create, um, like, to address the uh, problems of sexism, the problems with the problems of discrimination that's allowed in this um, in the student body overall. It doesn't just need to. I think change needs to happen at administration level so that it can be reflected in the student body that's being brought in and how student bodies how the student body can slowly unlearn the ways that they've conformed to racism, the ways they've conformed to white supremacy, to sexism, to um, homophobia. And I I want to see change. I just want to see a safe welcoming and joyful learning experience Mm -hmm, for sure and we definitely want that for all our students here on campus no matter what faculty as well Mm -hmm. um is there anything else that you'd like to add before we end off um i hope that everyone is having a good summer i hope everyone's (laughs) able to stay safe um if anyone wants to reach out to me to talk more about their experience at queen's I want to prioritize narratives that QT BIPOC folks can tell so i welcome them to reach out to me on the instagram platform or in my own platform um, I want to tell specifically QT BIPOC students, students with disabilities, and students who have experienced sexual violence that it's a difficult experience at the school, but your existence and your wellness itself is resistance. Prioritize your wellness and your safety and move in mind knowing that you're in a space that most that historically you were never permitted to be in. And again, your existence and your wellness is resistance enough. So well put. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you so much. Like I said, not only for coming to talk to me about this amazing initiative you started, but for taking the leap and starting Stolen by Smith to document the reality of so many people's experiences that go unheard of. Um, I just want to say, like, I completely stand by you and this initiative and what you're doing. And I honestly wish you the best of luck in this project. And I hope that all the goals that you have and all the change that you want to see is done (laughs) soon Um, and that people are held accountable for their actions and stuff um, and that people's voices are heard properly and the right action is taken to fix this very very broken system quite honestly so thank you so much mm-hmm. thank you for having me today i'm very this is a very cool place to be i've never been on a radio show before <laughs> i'm glad to have you here um but yeah thank you so much for coming in and we can end there thank you so much have a yeah. good day awesome That was honestly one of the most amazing conversations I think I've ever had on this show. I really, really love chatting with Kelly um, about At Stolen by Smith um, and talking um, to someone about about QT BIPOC experiences here at Queen's. And I'm so glad that I had the chance to reach out to her and bring her in with her insanely busy schedule. It's really, really great seeing other students take these next steps to make change within their faculty. And I hope that as change happens and Kelly continues to update us on the whole Instagram account. I will definitely be sharing updates here on my show over the next little bit that I have it running. We're going to take a quick little break. We're going to listen to a little bit of music and then I'm going to come back with some local Kingston updates for all you folks who are here in the region and tuned in. So this is Shelter by the XX here on CFRC 101.9. I find shelter
Shelter by the XX here on CFRC 101.9 FM. In recent news, the Ontario government has established a financial assistance program to help low-income energy consumers given the COVID-19 situation and that we are all still at home for the most part. There is the Ontario Electricity Support Program to provide low-income consumers with a monthly on-bill credit to reduce electricity bill charges. There is also the Low-Income Energy Assistance Program, or better known as LEAP, to provide emergency assistance to those in need and at risk of a disruption in service. There are also conservation programs to help customers reduce their energy usage, and you can go to saveonenergy.ca for tips and information. And there is the Affordability Fund if you don't qualify for LEAP or OESP, which is the Ontario Electricity Support Program, 
But if you are still having trouble keeping up with your electricity bill and the cost of energy saving upgrades, you can check out the affordability fund. It will improve the energy efficiency of your home and you can go online and search up these different things to check what level of support that you qualify for. Don't forget, we here at ZFRC love Trivia Night, so tune in tomorrow at 9 p.m. Um, for Trivia Night with the Grad Club, as we always do on Thursday nights. You can also tune in on Facebook Live or Facebook page. Just have some fun and play some trivia with us, which is sure to be an awesome, awesome time. As you know, I have covered the Bally Tobin Festival on the show. It was one of my first shows where I got to speak with Trisha Baldwin, who is the director of the Isabel Bader Center for the Performing Arts. And I also was able to talk with Emily Steele of Emily Steele and the Deal because she is performing in August as part of the Bally Tobin Festival. If you want to check out those interviews, check out more information, you can always go in our program archives and check it out. Um, or you can go to podcast.cfrc.ca and check it out there as well um but the bally tobin festival does actually have a show on tonight there is a performance that you can check out if you're interested and you just want or need something new and exciting to do so you can join triola who is composed of gazelle dalbeck chesniak melinda collins and aileen Bodet, as they play familiar classics such as handel's arrival of the queen of sheba Omio Babino Caro, Sizzling Piazzolo Tangos, Ungar's Ashokan Farewell, Film Music, and so much more. Um, all you have to do is visit the website isabeldigitalconcerthall.queensu.ca to check out this online event tonight. It is free. It'll be taking place over Zoom, in which these artists will be performing live from the Isabel Bader Center. So even though we cannot experience the beautiful building in person, at least we can experience an amazing show virtually. Um, it starts at 7 p.m. tonight and is expected to run until 10 p.m. Two more Kingston nail salons have been ticketed for breaching public health guidelines. This includes Lily Nails and Spa located at Princess Street and Centennial and La Sirene in the Kingston Center. Lily Nails and Spa was ticketed on July 9th for not disinfecting reusable equipment as often as was required necessary in order to prevent disease transmission and Lily Nail and Spa were fined $465 as well as a $110 victim surcharge for this violation. Leslie Wren was ticketed on July 7th, two days before Lily Nails and Spa, for failing to obtain contact information of a person seeking a personal service and for that they were fined $55 and a $15 victim surcharge don't forget as things are opening up just be safe um and be aware of um where you're going and just things like that we just want to keep everyone here in kingston nice and safe with newly instituted safety protocols in place, um, a new thing that you should totally consider checking out is the Pump House Museum. They are located at 23 Ontario Street 
and as of July 2nd, they have been open for pre-booked group tours, which is pretty cool. So there's two different tours that are offered at the Pump House Museum. You can tour inside the Pump House um, and visit the Collecting Histories exhibition. Um, and you can also do the Ontario Street Walking Tour, which is an outdoor walking tour, um, to learn about the history of Ontario Street. And all you have to do to book either of these tours is visit kingstonpumphouse.ca. Um, it's super exciting that we have these um, different events and different just activities that we can check out in the city um, just to make this whole thing a little bit easier for us, you know. It'd be kind of cool to learn more about the history and culture of Kingston for sure, so definitely check it out if you are interested in that. Um, there are a lot of different health guidelines and safety protocols um, that you can go on the website and find itself, um, but um, I can also just tell you right now, so everyone touring inside the museum, they are required to wear a mask for the tour, um, and even if you're not doing a tour, just if you're still inside the museum, they ask everyone to wear a mask, it is mandatory. Um, tours will be in small groups of no more than nine people, um, and you have to register to do a tour, no walk-ins or anything like that. Um, and there will be regular hand washing and high contact surface cleaning of the site conducted in between tours. So things will be disinfected before the next one, um, happens. So the Collecting Histories tour, um, is pretty cool. Um, as I mean, it sounds pretty cool to me. Um, you can check out the city's civic collection of different historical and artistic objects and artifacts that um, just tell us a little bit about Kingston's past and stuff like that. Um, there's more than 15,000 objects in the civic collection. Um, and the earliest archive record dates to 1830, which is before Kingston was officially a town. So for all my history buffs, um, probably something that maybe you can check out if you're interested in. And then there's, of course, the Ontario Street Walking Tour, which is a 45-minute guided walking um, tour of Ontario Street based off of the 2019 exhi exhibition that happened last summer that I talked a little bit about on a couple of my shows, the Ontario Street Brewers, Bakers, and Boilermakers. Um, so this um, tour delves into to the amazing history of Ontario Street, um, a place that um, supposedly defined and formed Kingston as a city. It is a pretty iconic street, in my opinion, if you ask me. I also just love walking down Ontario Street. It's very nice for me. Um, but there will be um, stories told on this tour about people, fires, explosions, industry, transportation, archaeology, everyday vices, and many, many more. Um, they are capped at nine people, like I said, so if you are interested, book early, um, and yeah, just visit kingstonpumphouse.ca. They are open from Wednesday to Saturday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. with late night offerings on Thursdays. Admission is $15 plus tax for groups of one to three and 25 plus tax for groups of four to nine people. Um, so yeah, check that out if you are interested. Um, the Mutual Aid Cataraqui Kingston Garden Network is sharing fresh produce from gardens this summer. So there will be one July 19th, which is coming up on Sunday. So it will be at Elmwood Park on Portsmouth Avenue. Um, it's a free, ve free veggie market. They will be popping up all over the city, but the one happening this Sunday is at Elmwood Park on Portsmouth. Um, setup is at 2 p.m. and there's no end time. It's just kind of a once until supplies last. They just ask that you wear a mask and maintain physical distancing 
while you're there um, and if you have any questions you can message um, the Mutual Aid Cataraqui Kingston Garden Network group or just mutualaidcataraqui at gmail.com um, with any questions. Um, that concludes my show for today. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kelly regarding the Instagram account stolen by Smith. I completely encourage you folks to check it out regardless of whether you're, whether or not you're a Queen's University student to understand the microaggressions and macroaggressions that occur within the Smith School of Business. To any Queen students listening right now, please take the time to reflect on your own experiences of oppression as well as privilege and see what you can do to make your school a better place. Next week on the show, I will be inviting Alyssa Vernon, who is the co-chair of the Queen's Collage Collectives, to talk about their August anti-racist series. Queen's Collage Collectives is a Queen's University-run club who runs events for healing, expression, and strengthening on mental health through the creation of art, which is super, super cool. They provide an accountable space to facilitate anti-oppressive conversation, which is amazing and something so valuable to the Queen's community. I'm so excited to be talking with Alyssa about their anti-racist series running through August, so don't forget to tune in next week, same time, 5 p.m. to catch that. But yeah, that concludes today's episode of Today in YGK. Um, I had a great time listening with all of you, or I guess speaking to all of you, I don't really know. If you ever have any news to share, please email me at news at cfrc.ca. You can also find our past episodes online at cfrc.ca um, in our archives or our podcast website, which I mentioned earlier, podcast.cfrc.ca. I have some awesome stuff on there as well that I would highly recommend checking out. A lot of variety, so I'm pretty sure there's something for everyone, at least that's what I like to think. So I would totally recommend checking it out if you need a new hobby or just want to um, listen and learn about something new. There's some very, very cool stuff on our podcast website. But thank you again for tuning in. To close off today's show, I'm going to put a little bit of a track on. I've been really into folk music recently, so... As you know, I, well, I don't know if you guys do know or not, but I love City and Color. And this is Waiting off of their album, Bring Me Your Love, here on CFRC.
for listening to Today in YGK, produced with the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Sciences at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, on the traditional lands of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples.